0: Okay, so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Acts chapter 22. Uh, This is part three of a three-part series entitled, Are You Ready? It's one thing to say you're ready, and it's another thing to actually be ready. Ready for what? Paul said, I don't know what lies ahead of me, except the Spirit tells me that in every city, chains and tribulations await me. We know that as he visited different churches, the Holy Spirit revealed that same thing. That, hey, bad things are coming down the pike for you, Paul. Some people hearing that bad things were coming said, hey, you shouldn't be going. Some people said, you know, they, they, they remember Agabus. He bound his, his, his belt and uh, Paul's belt around his own hands and said, whoever wears this belt will be bound. And Paul says, why are you guys breaking my heart being so upset? I'm not only ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he goes to Jerusalem. He opens his mouth. He starts speaking. And, and, the, and, the, and the Jewish people cause an upheaval in the city. And they start beating him. And then the Roman commander that was just 200 you know, flights of stairs away comes down to the, the, temple of the, the area for the Gentiles in the temple and rescues Paul. And then last week, the cliffhanger where we said, okay, we have to wait till next week to hear what Paul says to that group of people, and that's where we're at today. And so, in light of what Paul is about to say, let me ask you this question. Have you ever found it difficult to share the gospel with a family member or a friend? Have you have you ever have you ever been in that place where you're like, it's kind of making me nervous to even think about talking about Jesus at this time? Have you ever thought to yourself, well, I don't really want to offend anybody, you know? I don't really want to, you know, ruffle any feathers. And so maybe you have this conflict between, you know, should I speak or should I just be silent? Maybe you feel a little uneasy where you're like, I feel like the Lord's telling me to speak, but then part of me is saying, nah, 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 that's not going to work. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? Paul's about to share his testimony to this group of people that were just beating him. But they weren't just a normal group of people. They were part of his countrymen, his circle of friends that prior to Christ were there with him and knew who he was and believed the same things he believed and were in the same circles that he was in. He's about to open his mouth to speak. and Remember, Paul was being accused of some terribly offensive things. He was taking a beating. For these things that weren't even true. So let's talk about this for a second. What is it in us that prompts us to open our mouth to share the love of Jesus with people? Yes, that is a rhetorical question, because hopefully we would all know that it's the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts saying, open your mouth, speak, share. And then all of a sudden, something kicks in. Where we're like, well, I don't know how to do that. I'm not equipped for that. Or I'm not a pastor. Or I've never gone to Bible school. Or I, uh, I don't really, you know, I, my heart's beating too hard. I, I stutter. I, I, I uh, 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 You know, like I don't understand how I can open my mouth and, and speak. That's the way I feel. What is going on here? How many of you here today have ever felt anything like that? where the Lord has spoken to you and you were supposed to speak and you're like, I don't know what to do. All of us have. I have. Is this the right time? This seems totally awkward. This is like the awkward moment. No. No, 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 no. The Lord is actually wanting us to open our mouth and to speak. And so as Paul is about to share his testimony, we're going to look at a couple very important components of that that hopefully we can grab a hold on and say, okay, if this is how Paul kind of did it, how can I apply this and put my own personal touch on it? In verse 1 of Acts chapter 22, it says, as Paul now opens his mouth to speak to the people that were pandemoniously running around and beating him and doing all these things in the, in, the, in the city. He says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. So point number one is this. Smooth and respectful introduction. Smooth and respectful introduction. There is a lot to be said about people being cool with People. And yes, that's slang, but what it basically means is that you're pleasant, you're friendly, you're not uptight, you're easy to talk to. So often, as professing Christians, we don't have the tact that we need to have when it comes to communicating the gospel. I mean, I think we we see what not to do when we see people standing all on the street yelling at people and telling them they're going to hell. Now... That may be true. They may be going to hell. But why would we allow Satan? Why would we want to allow Satan to shut them down before we can open them up to the gospel? I mean, if someone comes at you, attacking you, and even if they're absolutely right, what's your first thing that's just the natural inclination for us to do as people? It doesn't matter who you are or what it's about. You become defensive. Hey, no, you shut up, man. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't think you can tell me. I don't want to talk to you. Get out of here, you, whatever. Because even if it's true, we get defensive. And even more so, if you strike a nerve with somebody, they're going to get defensive. Because if someone hits it right on the head, so to speak, they're going to feel it. And for the person that has heard the word of God, whether they like it or not, they are either going to receive it or they're going to harden their heart to it. Paul doesn't open up verse 1 here saying, You morons! Have some common sense! He doesn't say that. He was smooth and he was respectful in his introduction. He says, Brethren and fathers. Fathers, being respectful to the elderly men. Brethren, my brothers, my family. And he addresses... The older man, respectfully, he identifies with his audience and he begins what is called an apologetic to the Jews. That's the word there in the Greek, defense. Defense. He is going to give a defense for what he believes, an apologetic. So, number one, smooth and respectful introduction. So, be cool with people when you're talking with them about Jesus. Jesus. You don't have to be like this, even though there may be a time for this. Initially, get it going. Get the conversation started. Hey, how's it going? Nice to see you. Not doing something that will cause them to shut down before you even have the opportunity to open them up to the gospel. Secondly, speak their language. Speak their language. Know your audience. Speak their language. And I'll say this literally and figuratively. Speak their language. Literally. Just common sense, okay? Uh, literally speak their language so they can actually understand what you're saying. I mean, it's a beautiful thing when somebody filled with the Holy Spirit is proclaiming the word of God in their native tongue. It's one thing for me to go to Denmark and have them have a translator, and then it's another person for, and it's another thing for the, the native speaking person to share those things. Speak in a language that they understand literally, but figuratively in the sense that you can bridge the huge gap when you find common terms of discussion, like Surfers. How many surfers? Do you have any surfers or beachgoers in here today? Yeah, absolutely. So, surfers. Toes on the nose, brada. Backside snap. Getting barreled out of your mind. Paddle out. Drop in. Watch out for those kooks. You know, that kind of thing. Well, you're speaking my language, man. Surfers. Basketball. We're in a gym here today. Alley-oop. Slam dunk. Drop a dime. Get rejected. Out of my house. Nothing but net. We understand what they're saying. For the, inver- uh, for, for the investors, I mean, hey, diversified portfolio, bull market, mutual funds, hedge funds, stock options, Donald Trump. You know, like whatever. Like we, lo- we, we, we know how to bridge the conversation by knowing the people that we're speaking to. Speak their language doesn't mean you use foul language because I'm not going to tell somebody that they need Jesus to change when I'm not changed. But I'm, I'm understanding my audience. So smooth and respectful, number one. Two, speak their language. Minister, minister the gifts that God has given you and try to figure out, like, how can I reach these people? Oh, man, they're, they're skateboarders. Uh, they're young. They're sitting on the curb in Huntington Beach. Man, I wonder if I talk to them about kickflips. I wonder if I talk to them about skate parks. I wonder if I talk to them. and, And you think of how you can bridge the gap. Oh, vans? Man, I wore vans back in the 1960s, man. They still wear those things today? Absolutely. So you're finding a common ground where you can talk to somebody. Because this is exactly what happened with Paul. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. When they heard him speaking their language, they listened. They heard it. And this is point number three. So number one, remember, smooth and respectful. Point number two, speak the language. Point number three is where we'll be spending most of our time this morning. Share your story. Share your story. And this is exactly what Paul does in verse 3. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, which we know he's in Jerusalem. I was brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are, all, uh, that you all are today. I'm a Jew speaking to Jews. Paul finds the common ground. Guys, I'm from here. I'm not not from the other side of the tracks. Like, I am here. I lived here. I grew up here. This is who I am. I was taught by one of the most famous rabbis in Jerusalem. He taught me to be a strict follower of the law. I know where you're coming from because I was there. Sharing his story. Talking. Finding that common ground. I can't help but think of of Jose Hernandez in the city of Watts, who planted Hope Central Watts. You've heard me mention him before. If not, uh, he's done an amazing work there. And we are hoping to continue to partner with him and what he's doing in that city. But he was from Watts, the city of Watts. And he spent his whole life trying to get out of Watts. And he did, and the Lord called him to go back there and plant a church. And so he has a thriving ministry where he's like, hey, guys, I'm from here. He knows how to speak that language. He knows what's going on in that community. And the Lord is using him there in an amazing way. So we start to share our story. Hey, guys, you know, I used to, you know what, believe it or not, I was in high school one day. No way, dude, you're old. No, like, no, no, I'm in high school right now. I go to, you know, wherever. And you find that common ground. You're sharing your story. When I grew up, this stuff wasn't even built here yet. And all of this, man, I wish they would have had skateboards like this. I had these little plastic Nash banana boards that didn't work very well and all this kind of thing. And he starts finding the common ground. You guys all have your influences and things that influence you and things that you like doing and hobbies and and places you like to go and places you're familiar with, so that when you're talking to somebody, you find that common ground. You're not offending someone before you even have a chance to tell them about the love of Jesus, and you share your story. And so Paul's saying, yeah, this is where I'm from. I grew up here, and this is et cetera, so on and so forth. In verse 4, under point 3, share your story I put the letter A and I put recognized. If you're taking notes, you can put that down. If not, uh, you can watch this afterwards and review it on the website. He says, I persecuted this way to death. And and what Paul's going to be sharing here is his recognition of his sin. I persecuted this way. And the, the way is what early Christianity was called. And maybe it was called the way because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he says, I persecuted this way to death, verse 4, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. I lived a life in such a way That I persecuted the followers of Jesus. I persecuted the followers of, of this thing that you know as the way. I was on a mission to arrest, to punish, and to destroy anyone that was a follower of Jesus. So I understand exactly why you seek to hurt me now. I mean, for us, could you imagine if somebody just tried to beat you to death, you would want to go back and say, hey, guys, I totally get where you're coming from. I mean, can you imagine that? I don't know if that makes a little antenna go off of this is not normal. I'd be like, let me show you where I'm coming from. You know, like that kind of thing. We don't normally see what Paul is doing here happen. It's like, guys, I know why you're trying to hurt me. I hurt people too. I know what you're feeling. Now when I hear this, and I hear the story of Paul the Apostle, how he is pursuing, hunting down, punishing, arresting, even killing people. And I hear people talk about how they feel God could never forgive them because of what they've done and the sins in their life. I absolutely have to set them straight. Paul killed Christians, persecuted them, he was cruel and evil and he was he was doing all of these things against God. I mean we see the persecution around the world against Christianity. You know from Islamic extremist groups to others, you know killing Christians. But listen to this. They too can be forgiven through faith in Jesus. They too can be forgiven we think, oh, God can never forgive me. No, even the people that chop off people's heads can be forgiven through faith in Jesus. Paul went around killing Christians. Yes, is it repulsive? Yes. Does it make you angry? Yes. Righteous indignation? Absolutely. But it doesn't matter how far gone you are through faith in Jesus, you too can be forgiven even as Paul was. And a true encounter with Jesus will change anyone anyone. So he has a recognition. So remember, letter A was recognized under number three, which was share your story. He recognized his sin or the error of his way. He was acknowledging what he did, confessing what he did, which leads us to verse six, where repentance takes place. And letter B is repented. A was recognized. B is repented. Now it happened as I journeyed and I came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light, verse 6, Acts 22, from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. And remember Saul's name, uh, his name was Saul before it was changed to Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Whoa. Paul's persecution of the church was, in actuality, persecution of Jesus himself. He was hurting God's people, and in essence, he was actually hurting God. What Jesus said here, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus had already ascended to his Father in heaven. So he was speaking of his church, of his people, of his followers. What does this say about how Jesus feels about you and about me? What does this say about the type of relationship Jesus has with his followers? When they hurt you, they're actually hurting me. In Zechariah 2.8, from the New Living Translation, it says, The Lord of Heaven's army said, Anyone who harms you harms my, my most precious possession. Jesus takes it personally when somebody kills, hurts, or persecutes his church. Paul was seeking to destroy Christians, and what he was doing was really seeking to destroy Jesus. Verse 9, and it says, And those who were with me saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of Him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? Right there in verse 10 is the best question that you can ever ask in your entire life What can I do, Lord? What can I do? Lord, acknowledging who's in control. What can I do? Making yourself available to his leadership and direction. And this is the point of transformation in the life of Paul the Apostle, where he realizes that what he's doing is against God, and that he needs to turn from that. Which leads us in verse 10, again, to letter C, which is redirected. Redirected. He recognizes, he turns, repents, and now he's redirected. And he said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see, Paul says, for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. He was blinded. Before his encounter with Jesus, his eyes were open, but he could not see. What? Yeah, now listen. Now that his eyes are shut, he has gained spiritual sight. He's gained spiritual sight. He goes from attacking Jesus to now being directed by Jesus, redirected in a different, in a different way. In verse 12, then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. And I like how Paul adds, knowing his audience, a devout man, according to the law, which means he was a good Jewish man. He had a good testimony with all the Jews. He was upstanding in the community, and he was the one God sent to help him. Ananias came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should, underline this in your Bible, know his will. Secondly, underline this, see the just one. And thirdly, hear the voice, underline that, of his mouth. I just want to know what you want me to do, Lord. Lord, please help me to to know your will. I remember in in 2004, I was living in Hilo uh, on the big island of Hawaii. And I remember sitting outside an old movie theater on the curb, an empty curb. The the, the parking lot was all disheveled and run down. And I was just sitting there and I just started weeping. I was a young man. I, I think I was not even 24 yet. I was 23 years old. And all these things were crashing down around me. I was working and uh, in, in, in serving at a, at, a, at a church there, Calvary Chapel Hilo, with Pastor Ron Brav, who's was a, a great friend and, and had a huge influence in my life. And I remember um, in trying to support myself, I had a college degree and I couldn't find a job. And I seriously was trying to save up money enough to get a six-inch Subway sandwich once a week on Friday. And I'm like hanging blinds and washing cars and doing the most random things so that, you know, I could have food and, and I could support myself. And I remember just having all of these things relationally, financially come crashing down around me. I remember sitting on that curb and I just was so at the end of my rope with just being dejected. And I just said, Lord, I don't care what it is where you want me to go or what you want me to do. I just want to do whatever you want me to do. And I honestly meant that. Because we can profess that all the time. Lord, yeah, I want to do whatever you want me to do. But you get to a point where you're broken and you're completely surrendered to the Lord like I was shattered. And I just said, Lord, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I can't do this anymore, what I'm doing now. I need to be where you want me to be. And that day... I told the pastor what had happened, and I just said, I got to go. I got to go. So the few possessions that I had, uh, I I kept the the ones that I couldn't take with me, donated to the church, and I just bought a one-way ticket. The moment I flew from Hilo to Oahu, it felt like this huge weight was lifted off of me. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know where I was going to go. I just knew that I had to go back to Orange County, which I said I would never come back to. I was going to live in Hawaii for the rest of my life. If you've ever been to Hawaii, you know, you might be able to understand how I could do that. But some people can't do that. You know, it's like it's too small. But I literally was going to be a 90-year-old man, all wrinkled with the sun, and just be like, how's it, brother? Hey, bro. You know, like long old hair. I saw pictures of myself when I used to live there. I was looking, oh, there's all my friends, but who's that guy? And it was me. And I was like, what? You know, long hair. Then I had a beard and all this kind of stuff. You wouldn't even recognize me. You probably wouldn't even probably would have ran from me, actually. And I remember just being in a place where you're going, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, that's what I want to do. To be in the place of surrendering surrendering your, your will to the Lord is the most freeing place you can be. Saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so in verse 14, as I had you guys underline, Uh, which some of you did and some of you didn't. That's okay. God knows. I said, know his will. That's the best thing to do. Lord, I just want to know what your will is. What do you want me to do? Secondly, it's uh, see the just one. See Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we stop fighting against God, our eyes are open to see things of the Lord. We're open to Jesus. We're not in sin. We're pure. We see the Lord. And even furthermore, people see Jesus in us. Thirdly, hear his voice. To be led by the Holy Spirit and to have the word of God speak to you is such a great privilege. Lord, you lead me. You guide me. You show me. Opening the word of God, his his voice recorded on paper for us to read and to apply and to study. May we know His will. May we see Jesus in our lives. And may we hear His voice clearly speak to us. What an amazing thing. And verse 15, For you will be His witness, Ananias says to, to Paul, You will be His witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance, or he saw a vision, and, and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. He sees this vision from the Lord saying, make haste, get out of Jerusalem, because at this point they're not going to receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Remember what we read? Of Stephen, the first martyr, as they, as they stoned him to death? It was Paul standing there holding the coats of the guys throwing the rocks at Stephen. Can you believe that? Gives me the chills right now just thinking about this man was that guy. He's like, surely they'll understand. Surely they'll get it. I was the guy doing all of these things. That was me, the one that they heard of, that they knew, that they respected, that they wanted to be like. That is me, Paul. I understand where they're coming from. Then the Lord said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And Paul states that it was God's idea for him to go to the Gentiles, not his. He's saying it wasn't my choice to go to the Gentiles. This is what he's telling his Jewish audience. He's like, God told me. He showed me. Go to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, What word? The word is Gentile. The moment that Paul said Gentile, things went insane. It says they raised their voices and they said, Away with such a man from the earth, for he is not fit to live. One word. One word. Gentiles. And they said, He's not fit to live on this earth. Get him out of here. One word. What Paul was saying and what we need to understand as we close this morning with this word Gentile and even what the Lord's plan for salvation entailed was what Paul was saying is that it was equally important for the Jew and the Gentile to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Equally important. This would mean that Jews were not better than Gentiles. They both had to come to God on the same level. The same level. The same level. It used to be Jews looked down on Gentiles. Jews, God's chosen people. Gentiles, the outcasts. And now all of a sudden, with Jesus, the playing field became level for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you might think, well, what are are these guys' problems, man? They just says Gentiles and they go crazy? Well, you know, to, to put a modern day twist on it, it would be a lot, alike, us saying that good people need Jesus just as much as bad people need Jesus. People can have a hard time dealing with the fact that somebody that's moral or that's a good person needs to be saved through faith in Jesus, just like somebody who is immoral and is considered not a good person. There's only one way and there's no special treatment. And that's offensive to people. Away with this guy saying, I'm a, I'm a good person. I don't need Jesus. Those people over there need Jesus. Those people over there need forgiveness of sins and newness of life. But I'm successful. Look at the letters after my name on my business card. Look how much money is in my account. Look where I live. I don't need Jesus. And people are offended by that. Even as the Jews were offended at the fact where Paul said, yes, the Gentiles and the Jews are going to need faith in Jesus. And we know even for the church today that the people inside the church need Jesus just as much as the people outside the church need Jesus. May we never forget that. And then as they cried out and tore off their clothes, and threw dust in the air, the, commander, the Roman commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he would be examined under scourging so that they might know why they shouted so against him. And so now he's going to be taken back up to the command post and he's going to be beaten to find out what did you say that caused those people to get so upset. And we'll see what happens next Sunday.